Fuck you, buddy. They're bad. They're boys. And occasionally, they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Bye 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 bye. Hey, how you doing? I'm all right, man. How are you? Oh, I am. Oh, I'm tired. I'm tired to be honest. I've just my I got through the door about six minutes ago from Italy, so I'm pretty broken, and I'm feeling broken mentally, physically, everything. Just ah, have you have you gone through a two week period where? You've just you've you've changed from being a runner and now you're not a runner anymore. That has literally been about a six year period. <laughs> <laughs> well, you every time like the like so listener after the uh, last few weeks, um, these uh, episodes have been recorded later and later, um, or they've been put back for some reason because David is rushing back from some exotic uh, location, or uh, it's it's almost as though you know like. I don't know. There's, there's something very sort of really jet-setting about you at the moment. Oh, sorry. I've just I've just been on the French Riviera and uh, and uh, just is, come back. With it. There is something like slightly jet-setting about. It. Is it because you, you're much much older now? Oh, I'm just. Oh, well, I. It's not. It's. I think when you get older, you get the cash, and then you you know you live the lifestyle. It's not that. No, no. no when you get the Kickstarter, you get the cash. Yeah, yeah, that's all gone. But um, no, it's just it's just been events have conspired, and it's a bloody nightmare because um, Briggsy's always up for doing fun things. Um, a little bit too much. <laughs> Hello, there's a quote. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. And, uh, but yeah, we've we've had um, had the Fair Islands last week, which we'll, we'll talk about. I think in the next episode or in a few episodes time, and then wedding, and then next weekend is love trails in in Chamonix and so actually in terms of just trying to organize your life where you're you're taking at least a day and a half off each week um because you're you're having to leave early Friday sometimes late Thursday you're getting back Monday lunchtime evening and oh man it's just hard I've I've got to that stage where partly because I was slightly injured going into Pharaoh and then because Pharaoh screwed my legs because I'm not having trained for hills. And then this weekend with wedding, where you're traveling so much in car and travel, it's just impossible to do any running. And I've, I'm now, I've probably lost, I, I mean, I haven't, I've done 12 miles this week, I think total, um, which is normally what I'd run as an average. That's quality. That's my, that's my normal marathon buildup. Oh man, it's, it's horrible though, because I just... It, I now I'm dreading going out for my next run just because I know how slow and how unfit I'm going to feel. It's weird that, isn't it? It's weird when you get that feeling where you you either have a break, either enforced or or or, or something else. If it's and this is only true if it's if it's not injury. With this injury, you can't wait to get back training. But if yeah. it's something that's other than injury, it's that that worried nature of that first run. The the like the dawning realization of how much fitness you've lost and speed you lost and how much you have to claw back um and you and it's fine but you just it's like it's like stepping on the scales after two years of binging just going i yeah. don't want to see that number and that's the especially because it was 
coming up to the race i did a you know i had a slight injury um so rested and then you're burning up to the race like three days out and so you, you can't run then so even that week i didn't do anything and you'll we'll hear about what happened to pharaoh but let's say i didn't quite run the mileage i was expecting um, <laughs> So that, that's the secret will be revealed. It's a nice little teaser. Classic, nice classic teaser. teaser. Classic open loop we've got there for the for the for the Faroe Island uh, yeah, episode. Yeah, absolutely. Which which then is even more frustrating that my legs were knackered, having not even done a bloody proper run. Um, <laughs> and so that then going into a wedding where we've just drunk, eaten, uh, and especially in Italy where oh you know, man, that so must many have been courses. amazing. Yeah, pretty sweet. But how are you, mate? How are things? All right, all right. Yeah, yeah. I'm. Um, I, well, I'm doing some running, which uh, I, it's, it's going to surprise some people. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, it's it's pretty easy to to stick to this plan. Um, although I do have this like this worry. I've, I've still not been to a park run. I've still not been to a park run on a Saturday to um, uh, to check my time or anything. And so this, we've still got some details to iron out about this challenge and, and everything else, which we'll talk about later. But um, but yeah, this is this is super simple to stick to. Um, it's so simple, in fact, because because the distances that I'm I'm worried that I'm just not going to be making progress. Um, oh, you think it's too easy? I don't think it's too easy. I just don't, it doesn't feel like I'm running far enough. This, this is the worst thing ever. I, I'm saying to myself, I don't think I'm running far enough. Um, uh, I don't know if partly it's because what I'm used to or partly because I just feel that um, uh, my fitness needs more. I don't know. I've got this, I've, I feel, it, it's like this duality. I feel wonderful that I'm sticking to a plan and I'm ticking the boxes and I'm making sure I'm doing the mileage I'm supposed to be doing. I'm also feeling this like anxiety within me that this isn't going to work in any way shape or form um and and i it's almost like that i'm almost like i'm worried to do a park run a proper park run uh timed um 5k for fear that i'm just going to realize that this is so you know the, the the few weeks that i've been sticking to this plan has been an absolute waste of time i'm just gonna to have to go back to the drawing board i don't really know how i don't but in a way i think you need to do a park run as soon as possible so you can get that's your benchmark time, isn't it? It is. It is. And that, I'm just, I'm slightly that's scared your, of doing your, it. <laughs> that's your getting on the scales at the first Weight Watchers. I know. That's it's your weird. equipment. It's weird. It's weird how we've both just talked about that. How we've just both, I like, I don't want to, I don't want to see how far away I am from it, which is a bit worrying. Like, the thing is, we haven't actually like finalised this bet yet. And I haven't actually agreed to this bet yet. Yeah, I'm training for this bet because I just feel like I've been sort of like cajoled into it. This isn't like the um, the nuts challenge bet um, or the nuts challenge thing. This is this feels there's something a little bit different about this. Well, the, I th- it feels like I think we, we may not have agreed the terms, but cement has been laid on the ground there are certain markings in that cement, and it is drying quickly. There are certain, there are certain markings. It seems like twenty-two, twenty-one, and twenty are the are the different points, and a tattoo is definitely a threat off for the twenty-two one. Um, but there, there've been lots of suggestions in the group around it, haven't there? So while we while we haven't set it, there's been a lot of suggestions around what what should be uh, what should be the punishment um, or what how you should suffer as well. And there's one thing that I don't think should happen. I don't think there should ever be a situation whereby if I succeed, you end up getting a tattoo or you, you losing in that way, because that gives you 
um, an impetus to not want me to do it. And I will never put it past you, the things that you may bring into play to, to slow <laughs> me down. <laughs> Especially given I don't have a tattoo. I've never had, and I don't think I'll ever have one. Um, in fact, the only... In my head, I've always told myself the only reason I'll ever get a tattoo is if I have a child. It's if, it's for a cheeky, if, it's, if it's for a cheeky bet that didn't, didn't matter on a, on a podcast one thing. But that's the thing. I've not got a tattoo as well. So this is all, this is very, very nervy. Libby's, yeah, Libby's not happy about this situation at all. So she knows. Well, of course she knows. She's going <laughs> to, well, of course she knows. It's, it was a bit, would be a weird thing to keep quiet from her. Well, I just, I just figured you'd have to. Um, I, I, part of me th- wonders if she knows you even do a podcast. <laughs> She's given up on listening to it. <laughs> Creeping off into the room every, uh, every Monday night. Do you know, it doesn't matter how often we do it, she can still be the same level of annoyed at me that I'm doing it. Just still, what we've been doing it for three years. She, it's, it's as though I've told her fresh that tonight I'm going to neglect you for three hours while we record a podcast. And she still manages to conjure up the same level of disgust and uh, disapproval at me than she did when I first started, <laughs> when first, first started on it. It's, it's quite incredible. What is it about girlfriends just demanding your time? That they, I know. That, and then when you give it your time, they're like, "Why don't you fuck off?" <laughs> it's strange, isn't it? That they just don't. As soon as they get they're in a relationship, I find girlfriends suddenly are, are never comfortable alone for any <laughs> amount of time. Ricky doesn't like it if I read. <laughs> really annoys her she's like she'll she'll insist on me reading out loud there is something about that that is that is pretty true isn't it there's something about okay we're gonna have a we're gonna have a shared experience and we're not allowed to have two experiences like side by side but the, the, the phone thing's a weird thing it's like she's allowed to look at her phone but if she's looking at her phone for a specific reason that's more valid than me looking at my phone but the thing is, I read stuff on my phone. I read, like, Kindle books on my phone. But that's not a legitimate reason for Libby. If she's looking through Instagram, though, that is a legitimate reason. Because I'm looking through Instagram because um, someone told me there was something on here that I needed to see. Like, I'm not sure that that's a legitimate reason. I'm reading <laughs> a real book here. If I was sat here with a book, you'd be okay with me. But because it's a phone, for some reason it's not. I don't know. The rules change a lot, and I don't know. I don't know who sets this rule book up, but whatever the rules are, I'm I on the wrong side of them. Up, it's not men. It's not, not men. <laughs> we should have done this when Ali's on the episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's keep too big a hole. Let's keep. <laughs> she would just but, um, tell it. Just, I think. I think we could just. We. Uh, I'll. I'll. I'll impersonate Ali. You two can fuck off. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And to be fair, I think, um, well, I don't think Julius sets the rules on on who who's on the phone when. I think Ali sets those rules as well. Mm. But yeah. I probably shouldn't discuss that on air without her her knowing. <laughs> I'm scared of Ali as much as he probably is. So. Uh. <laughs> But um, I think we, we, we're looking for a bit of feedback this week, Blue Badders. So next week we can actually finalise the terms. Yeah, of, we've, we've, had some, yeah. we've had some good suggestions. We've had some good suggestions about um, uh, Lee. Lee has come up with a good suggestion that every, 
right, every second that I go over, or every 10 seconds that I go over um, uh, a certain time, you're not allowed to run for a week. Oh, that's like, that's, that gets you where it hurts. Oh, God, that would be killer. I mean, I'm going to be injured at some point. Can I just hold off until then? <laughs> no, I, I'm allowed to select when. That would be... <laughs> yeah. Is it going to be the week of my A race? No, like no. Training no, 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 like no, 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 no. It's going to be the weeks leading up to your wedding. So I'm going to make sure you're like an absolute bloater that can't fit into <laughs> <laughs> Um I like the idea of... Because what we could always do is that every 10 seconds increases the font size by two. <laughs> so that you, if you end up doing like a 15-minute 5K, it ends up being full body. <laughs> <laughs> but um, well, I, I think we should discuss all the full terms of the suggestions next week. Yeah. When, uh, we're going we to do a catch-up episode where we talk about the Fair Islands. We're going to talk about the challenge and in more detail about how jody's 5k uh, training has been going um so if you uh, if you have time to comment on this and we realize that this will have come out after we've recorded next week but we're going to pretend that that hasn't the case so if you want to do your suggestions get in the facebook group now and uh, we will take them all on board before we uh set the stone as such and uh decide what the terms are going to be ah! But um, yeah, there's been some there's been some talk in the group about some Strava wankers. Oh my god! To be no, yeah, this is I mean this is this is quite fantastic. So, it is, Richard McDowell, bad boy, it, I, he he is the fastest person in the group, isn't he? Is he the fastest yeah, person mean, in the group? He is a, he is a whippet. Outside of guests, yeah. Outside absolutely. of guests, yeah. yeah. And and so we'll never make him a guest. We'll never want to speak to him. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you shot yourself in the foot there, Richard. Um, but but you know, lovely bloke, lovely bloke. Apart from the fact he's a bit of a tryhard, but lovely bloke. So he is that how you make yourself feel better that anyone quicker than you is just try, <laughs> they're just trying try, too bit, hard. Bit, a bit of a kino. That's the worst yeah, bit. Yeah. yeah, there's no no one likes a kino. Okay, those people that pass their exams and things. <laughs> <laughs> people that do stuff they say they're going to do. People that show any. Any tiny element of enthusiasm for anything in life, Kino. People that, people that win running people, uh, podcast people, awards. People that turn up. People that turn up to races, do races, anything. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Kino. Um, so, yeah, so he, um, he ran the Bacchus Marathon. So Bacchus, is it, but no, Bacchus Half Marathon. So, <clears throat> no, he, um, did, he did the full marathon. Oh, did he do the full marathon? Okay, okay, well... It, it, it's kind of irrelevant, but that's that's great. So um, there's Marathon de Madoc, which is the uh, Bordeaux wine marathon, and then there is the English wine version of it, which is the Bacchus Marathon. Um, they call it the Bacchus Marathon because the Bacchus, you know, is obviously the the god of wine, and they don't want to say Dorking, the Dorking Marathon. Um, and so, and if, if you're wondering how it compares to the the French marathon through the the vineyards of Bordeaux. <laughs> The, what the English equivalent's like, it's exactly what you'd expect it. Yeah, to be. it's got, and the, the, I mean, like, the, the, the huge penalty is that you, uh, where you uh, run the Marathon de Medoc, you get to drink some of the finest um, uh, uh, Premier Cru and Grand Cru wines in the world. Um, when you run through um, the uh, Denby's estate, you have to drink English wine. So there's a penalty um, for doing this race. <clears throat> 
I, and I, I don't care. Even and I don't care. Pinch. I don't even care. Someone goes, oh, but English wine. Like, no, no, you're not. Like, you, you're not going to win the argument there. No, it's English wine. No. But I think they even ship in showers in case it isn't raining, just to make sure <laughs> you get the full English summer experience. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, Richard, the, to give a bit of context, so it's, it's, um, it's through the vineyard. So it's through the vineyard. So it, it's a hilly run, isn't it? It's a you know, it it, it has a, it, it's not an easy elevation stuff. So it's 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 a trail marathon effectively, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, there are parts of it. I, I don't know the trail, but I've run through them myself on um, on Pilgrim's Way. And yeah, I mean, you're not going to go there to to try and run a good time. But Rich is training crazy amounts at the moment. And I think for him, anything he can do that's local, that's more interesting than a training run, you're going to do it. So he went there and just ran a a marathon, basically. As, uh, no, I not as fast as he could, but I mean, it, it was a weird time, a weird speed, because it, it's almost too quick to do as a training run, but not quite flat out for him but what was it 230 he ran uh something like that something like that just uh, like something just ridiculous ridiculous for for that type of thing but the thing is and this right so this this is the thing so he didn't drink at any of the stations so he ran it like a marathon without drinking at any stations at what is essentially a wine marathon but in a way i think that's the do bad away i mean it do you know what i I was thinking this i was thinking am i is this brilliant or is this shit? I couldn't think. And I was thinking, it must be. It's quite brilliant. Because you would drink at a, a serious marathon, but then you wouldn't drink at one that is dedicated for people drinking. It's just, it's that contrarian, it's the contrarian nature of it. Or would you smoke instead? Uh, or do uh, something else? But, um, but, so, but he didn't. So he basically, he, he ran it and didn't drink at any of the stations um, and uh, came in first. And um, there was another guy who, uh, and the second person, the person who came second did exactly the same thing. Ran, didn't drink at any stations, came in second. The third guy ran, drank at all of the stations, got a little bit annoyed at Richard McDowell because he said he didn't really, he, he didn't think. So he posted on Strava the following comments. Another great run. Turn up at a fun run whilst everyone else drinks at the aid stations. You complete cunt face tw- twat biscuit. <laughs> Underneath, you fucking hero. And he's written again, Mother Teresa should be dug up and buried in tribute to your greatness. <laughs> where, where do you think he was when he wrote? Do you think he was sat at home? I think he was. <laughs> the thing is, he on the night bus. <laughs> you know, like when you write a comment, you're like, fucking, I'm going to write another comment. I'm going to write it's another comment. <laughs> I don't think he understands how I feel yet. And then, and, then, and then the guy called Piers goes, fair play there. You flew past me on mile eight and I was already on a PB time. The only, only person to overtake me. Nice one. And I think, I think Piers might have been the guy that was second. So, you know, obviously, you know, nice, nice uh, what's it called, run chat. This other guy oh, underneath, right. did you drink any wine, Piers, you fucktard? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... He- he does use good words for his swearing. He's I mean, very eloquent. He doesn't hold back. What I love about that, he doesn't just go, look, it's a wine marathon. You didn't drink any wine. Do you think that's in the spirit of things? Uh, or anything else like that. He's just like, you complete cunt face twat biscuit. <laughs> the thing is, when Richard sent it to me, I think 
I think Rich was looking. Richard obviously saw the funny side uh, to a certain extent, but I think he was looking for a little bit of sympathy. And I, I just thought it was amazing. I thought this guy. I said, "This this John guy is a legend." And like, and Rich's like, "It's a bit too far, though, isn't it?" Oh, I like what I like is like literally post that, and I think on the group we was looking for thing, and someone goes, "Get him on the podcast." (laughs) (laughs) Incredible! Literally, literally, get him on the podcast was the first comment. So that was, um, you said craft beer half, third place. Oh, that's right. Because it's a craft so, beer. Cause, no, because this is... He'd had a history. Yes, exactly. He'd beat him in the craft half as well, because Richard did exactly the same thing in the craft half. Ran it um, in, a, in an incredible time, but didn't drink any beer. And this guy <laughs> missed out on that one. Because <laughs> he had... He, he wrote, didn't he, um, about that. Craft, craft beer half, third place. Moral victories, the first two finishes, not drinking the beer. Total cretins. Six cans for me. <laughs> Imagine just turning up to races and the same guy keep beating you because he's not doing what you think he's supposed to do. Oh, that's just, it's just wonderful. We need to find out where he's racing next, don't we? Oh. In fact, what we need to do is to find out when he's racing a normal race and then get Rich to turn up and just go to town on the booze as he's <gasps> running fast and still destroy him. Because Rich is in such form at the moment. Oh, absolutely. Anyone, even if he was absolutely it, hammered. He could be carrying the beers. He, 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 he could be carrying a six-pack with him. Yeah. He could, yeah, yeah. He'd destroy it. But, um, but so the, I, I think Rich did raise this with um, Strava and the comments have been taken down now, sadly. Um, which is good that we've got the the screenshots but um <laughs> i love the idea of rich being you know really chuffed with his run he's kind of looking back you know that you like to look oh how many likes have i got oh oh which comments i've got nine comments it's nice and then you look at that and you're like oh, oh hey. 50 percent of those is someone calling me a cunt face twat biscuit <laughs> Can we get that on his run show? <laughs> exactly. That's what he's known as now. It doesn't matter. You have no... <laughs> it's, it's like... It's like... The thing is, it's the same thing, isn't it? It's like all the achievements that you've ever done. And what do people say? Press-ups to you. Like, yeah. Li- that is the thing. It, it, it's that you know, sort of yeah. reductive way of doing it. Like, all the achievements he's ever had. And how are people going to remember him? Can't face track, Biscuit. It's just that <laughs> you can't escape it. You can't escape it when someone... Does it gives you a moniker like that? It's absolutely incredible. In oh. fact, I, I I think that the bad thing is that the guest we've got on is is such a lovely guy about one of the worthiest topics, and uh, we're probably just going to call the episode "Can't Face Track." <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah, I know. I'm just thinking about who we've got. On. <laughs> So I'm, I've no idea how to segue into. <laughs> no, we segue because the thing is, Richard McDowell he ran at the Craft Half for a, an amazing, you know, what's it called, Sierra Leone and Street Child. Yeah. That was an amazing marathon. Yeah. And so the increase in um, marathons that have a worthy cause behind it is is something that we explore in this episode. Oh, brilliant! I like it. I like it. Nick, take it away, buddy. Well, our next guest, I, I don't actually remember when he first kind of came across my radar. It's, it's probably because in my uh, my efforts to try and find a marathon I could potentially win, my uh, my Rat Race Ryan races, um, the Impact Marathon series became very um, 
very visible. Um, similar to the <laughs> street, street Child with Sierra Leone, uh, Nick's been organising races around the world with the express intent of raising money to help those countries. Um, so we've known him for two, three years. He's part of a lot of the crew that we already know, the, the Danny Bents, the Project Awesome, the Midnight Runners. Um, so to tell us about what's been happening and what's what's happening the next few weeks even, which is pretty exciting, but then the next few months, welcome on the show, Nick Asher. <laughs> Hi there, guys. How are we doing? Yeah, good. Good. I mean, this is probably the latest we've ever recorded. <laughs> it was absolutely essential to get you on. Just to, just to, I didn't realise that you were raising money for charities. I thought you were purely in existence to help David actually podium somewhere. I thought that, I thought this was I thought this was a social enterprise to make him feel better. And then, and then we, found we make out... sure we don't have any elite runners allowed. Just, <laughs> yeah, just really that's just including David. myself. <laughs> But do you want to take us back to the beginning, Nick, to, um, I mean, the, the first one, Uganda? Yeah, so, I mean, Uganda came out of, um, yeah, it was, was, a, was a joke, really. We, we, we'd, we'd seen what Sierra Leone had been doing, it sort of stayed in our minds, and, and you know, Sierra Leone was really the godfather to all that, that we've done since then. Um, and uh, we had some hot projects with, it was myself and Henry Blanchard, we had some projects in Uganda, we wanted people to come out to those projects and see the difference that it can make. So um, we were just trying to work out how to do that, and it just sort of came up as a joke that we should run a marathon out there. And um, so we did, and that was like five months of planning. We started it in January, launched it in January, and it went live in May. Uh, and it was so, um, so much fun. So, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, you know so well from Sierra Leone that that difference it makes when you actually see the projects and you get involved in the community and then you run through the community um, and that whole experience. And so off the back of Uganda, um, yeah, I just wanted to see what else we could do and whether we could use it all over the world and not just in one country at one time, but but make something kind of sustainable out of it. So that was that was very much the start was 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 Sierra Leone, then became Uganda, then then impact kind of came off the back of there. So it was quite a, a natural step. And how do you I mean, you said you you then went about planning it. How do mm. you I mean, how does that even begin? Did you know people there? Talk us through how. So, How do you go from choosing country to then actually somehow being on the ground and, and organising an event? Well, I guess Uganda was was a case that we Henry and I had been working there for two years before. So we had some good guys on the ground and we just said to them that we're going to do this. Can you get hold of the permissions? And they just went off and just came back with a pile of permissions. So um, it, it was kind of simple, that one. And then in the new impact races, well, we're normally kind of selecting the countries before we've got great contacts. So sometimes we landing in country Nepal, which was the, the first of the, the impact marathon series itself. You know, I, I didn't know anybody when I landed in Nepal, not not even one person. And so that's much more about just going with a gut feeling, knowing there's a social story to tell uh, and then putting yourself out there to see what serendipity comes your way. And so, so with Nepal and then, uh, I mean, are you choosing these then because you feel these are the countries that need the most help or is it driven by the marathon? Um 
I mean, it's driven by the social story to tell. So Nepal, we, we were inspired by because we wanted to talk about what happens 18 months after a natural disaster. So around the same time as we had Uganda in year one, which was April, May 2015, that's when the earthquake hit Nepal. And we wanted to talk about what happens when the money dries up and the media moves on mm. and, and bring attention to that social cause. So that's normally like the focus, um, but it shifts along the way. I think in Guatemala, for instance, we really want to talk about climate change. And we want to talk about that because Guatemala's hugely impacted and yet doesn't contribute much towards it so um when we got there the more that we worked in the community the more we realized that wasn't the story that's our story being imposed on guatemala and so instead of that we listened to the community and try and and adapt and move it around because it's not our story to tell so we go in with the pre preconception of what we want to say or one connection or one charity or you know one great runner in that country and then we just we sort of sit back and listen for a little bit before we go any further so to, to how do you figure out what to do with the money then? Is is it just a case of finding a charity partner on the ground or are you actually tasked with deciding how the money is spent? We, so yeah, we find partners on the ground. So we're, we're not from the, the charity background where we would um, decide exactly where money goes, um, but we sit and we, we work and we have a, an independent uh, couple of guys called Fieldworks who head out and they'll go and spend three, four days with each charity that we've had shortlisted and do their DD. Uh, and then they come back to us and say, like, we think these guys are a good fit for you guys because X, Y, Z. And we go with that. But then if we're going to give a $5,000, $10,000 grant, um we we're saying to that charity that we trust you on this one like we we just want to empower you with it we're not going to restrict it we're not going to say it has to go towards some new impact project with our, our our name on the side of the building that's not our goal um this is your money this is your challenge go for it um and really try and empower people through that um and there's not a lot of grant making bodies sometimes that give people that opportunity when they're running a small charity to to take on a dream project or to try something they wouldn't normally try because there's so there, you know there's, there's so much reporting that goes around it so we say you know run with this you know what is the project that no one else would fund but you think would make the biggest difference in your organization mm. go for that and and if that doesn't work out fine you know and if you decide no actually you know what we just need to cover our overheads right now because that's what we're struggling fine because we believe in the work you're doing and we believe in the people that you are so, so how how would you select because i assume in these countries there are potentially <laughs> you know tens and tens of of worthy causes some of which are are truly worthy some of which are maybe well intended <laughs> but yeah. realistic, and, and some of which may may not be worthy um how how do you go about figuring out who the good guy well i mean hopefully they're all good guys but yeah who the, who the better guys are I think so. Uh, a lot of it comes down to that personal connection. People who buy into what Impact is trying to achieve and see the bigger picture of it. So yeah. some guys, some charities will just see the, the the money that comes in from the fundraising, and and that's fine. That doesn't necessarily a red flag, but it doesn't inspire us. And we're looking for the charities where they've got a bigger vision, and they say, okay, cool. We don't just want money. We want to be able to tell our story in this way, or we see this as opportunity for something else. And they offer support for the marathon itself because when we go in country mm. we do have support from other operators and there's lots of different things but the best supporters we can have are the charities if they get behind it the race becomes a lot lot easier to put on and they help with lots of different areas so um there's that side of it. but in order to to really select those charities we work with with the guys at fieldworks uh, so a couple of guys called chris and federico and and they they do head out and and 
do a lot more of that uh, nitpicking due diligence. And they've got 30, 40 years of experience in the charity sector between them. Um, so what they can feed back in terms of red flags, and if, if it's accountancy issues or if it's um, all of the different things that could come up, as well as uh, these guys are really intentioned, but what they don't realize is this is the negative externalities of what they're doing. Well, well that's actually pretty interesting at that point. So um, they do all of that kind of, uh, groundwork for us so we can focus more on do we connect with these guys do they tell their story will our runners be able to feel like they understand this project well because some people can't always tell their story and if they can't can we help them do that or is this just not a good partnership there's a lot of different <laughs> a lot of different kind of balls that are up in the air when it comes to it what yeah. sort of what so what what sort of um, interaction then will the runners have as part of that? Like just just mm. an example because I've, we, yeah we've obviously we've done I've done the CLO marathon and, mm. and so I've seen how that's worked. But how 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 would you normally work that in terms of deciding sort of the level of interaction and the level of um, uh, exposure they would get to, to to what's going on? Yeah, so we um, we normally select about four different partner organisations in country, um, and we try and make sure that the runners go and visit with every single one of them. And that's usually just like a day um, where they'll go, they'll visit, and they'll learn about the charity, learn about what they're doing. Uh, they'll probably get stuck into something. You know, we've got an amazing um, charity in Nepal which uh, works around burns violence, and they have uh, the the victims as a social enterprise. They have um, candle making, so we'll go and we'll we'll, we'll meet the victims by doing you know candle making with them and visiting the different projects then what i think we do that's i guess a bit different to to what sierra leone's done in the past is that we then have a two days of what we call the community impact project where we find uh, a real balls to the wall idea you know that, that lone nut crazy idea yeah and we all get stuck in to make it possible so nepal the 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 one that i kind of just I think everyone resonates with quite quickly was Project Pipeline. And that was where the villagers said, we want to have a, a year-round water supply and we want to plumb it into all of our houses. And it's we found a source, it's five kilometers away into the national park. And this is this is our dream, right? Is to have water plumbed into every house in the village. Um, and when we first started that, we had no, like, no concept of what we were undertaking at all. And we just said, cool, let's go for it. And then first day came around and i didn't sleep at all the night before because every time i tried to ask the villagers you know we had 80 runners at that first nepal race i was like so what's the plan when they arrive you're going to split into groups like nick 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 don't worry this is what we do don't worry i'm like oh you know are the villagers going to turn up and then you know how many pickaxes are there going to be and you know should we really have some health and safety on that pickaxe situation <laughs> um and so i asked our, our, our operator and he was like i'll, I'll, I'll sort out the uh, the health and safety. This is Nepali guy Reshram, and he turns around to the whole group and says, "Right, I'm going to do the health and safety briefing." And the first thing you need to know is there's no health and safety in Nepal, so try not to pick your feet and try not to pick your legs. <laughs> and so um, we had this madness, but we had 200, 100 villages and and about 80 of our, you know, almost 200 people up and down the pipeline um, for two days, and we managed to put 4.2 kilometers in, and the villages did the rest. And then last year we went back and we started to push out these pipes to different amount of parts of the village. And then this year we've gone back and, and I think it's UNICEF has come in and funded all the rest. So every single house in the village now has a tap. 
and a meter attached to it, which is crazy. And so we're looking for those projects that wouldn't happen if someone doesn't give it that impetus. And once someone does, that's when larger organizations might come in and become more confident to fund it. So we're given that that sort of uh, the crazy ideas, a bit of credibility, I guess. That's that's the goal with that. And so that's very hands on and very, very, very hands on at times. That's kind, it's kind of like Challenge Annika. <laughs> yeah, isn't it that's what's, exactly what's that it. i've never heard of that oh look, i'm not showing my age young, isn't it? <laughs> it was that was what they did wasn't it it was just like so it goes oh we need a school we've only got two days to build it and annika would come, annika <laughs> rice would come in she'd get the school built that's that's it's, it's kind of the same but it's good because it's like a, a self-contained challenge um mm. that people really needed and people really wanted and every, everyone everyone got involved with it it's is this done before or after the marathon Oh, that's before. That's how you acclimatize. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you're running official? a marathon. It, that's it. You know, that's your taper is, <laughs> is we get you doing upper body work with a pickaxe at 2000 meters and you get used to the altitude pretty quickly. There's quite, there's, I've, we've got quite a theme, haven't we, of people doing these these sort of challenges and races in, in, in other places and people getting them to, to either, you know, uh, plow fields or uh, <laughs> or build things or things. so it's a very very sensible uh, idea. We've got all these locals laughing at are laughing at the runners <laughs> who, are, who are about to run a marathon, uh, digging up a pipeline. Uh, completely. I mean, it's. I mean, what what's great about it though with the locals is that it creates um, like a collision of cultures really yeah. really quickly and well. Once you're you know pickaxing beside people and and having a laugh then language barriers culture barriers it all kind of goes out the window Uh, and that's what i think is quite nice about it you see people um open up in a way that you wouldn't if you were just touring a local village and they were putting on a dance for you or whatever that that's your normal tourist way to to visit a country and i feel like this is great because it kind of just goes that little bit deeper and that's that's part of the addictive part of it i guess did was there there any kind of like resentment or anything initially to 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 these kind of things because i imagine that that there's exactly that type of uh, concern that you know like say you're gonna ship people in here is a cultural experience and then you're going to go. What was, mm. did, you, did, you, did you initially find that at all? Um, we haven't found that, to be honest, because I think we've always laid out exactly what this is. And I think the race brings around a little bit more. It's not just like, here we are to do good and and then and then head off and, and fall into that sort of fallen tourism thing. Because, because of the race, it brings up a lot more and people get a lot more interactive with it rather than, than that. And then the other thing aside of it is that this is just like the start of a project. You yeah. know, we're just there. Uh, we're not looking to take away jobs from local workers who could be doing this work you know there's always that argument as well but but actually what we're doing is starting it and then giving the 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 communities we're working with the opportunity to then crack on and 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 finish it um and i think because that's laid out from the start it's pretty good i mean we had with project pipeline there was one really interesting one because there was a, a hotel in town that uh had its own water all year round and so it's kind of a prestigious thing that they had water all year round all the villagers would have to walk up to them take the water and go back home every single day um and certainly year one there was like a it was pretty aggressive um behind the scenes because they you know they were really upset that the rest of the village was going to wanted this pipeline mm. um but then i was there a month ago and the owner of that hotel uh just came up to me and shook my hand and gave me the biggest smile and he says thank you what you what you guys have done for for Kakani village is just incredible we're so so grateful um and so i guess sometimes like you know the idea of in nepal of having your own tap in in your own house is sort of um pretty abnormal i think it's one of the things that until the village saw it actually happen that's when the village just lit up and it was it was really exciting 
And how have um, like the first group you took out there? Because I think a lot of the time, well, it's it's a new concept for one. But were people there mainly for the marathon? Were they there mainly for the charity? And and depending on where they where they lay within those two, did that then cause problems when it was more focused on one of the two or the other? I don't think we've ever had any problems with that at all. I think people have, um, I think people sign up for the marathon. It's the word marathon that makes it exciting, right? Um, doing a marathon in Nepal, doing a marathon in Malawi, that, that, that's, that's really kick-ass and that, that, that's what excites runners. Um, Mm. but from the start, there's a whole week and, and, you know, uh, that whole experience, that's, everyone's bought into that. By the fact they've they've paid for the entire week, they haven't just paid for a race entry. They paid for the entire week. They're coming on an adventure. We do the fundraising beforehand. All of these things it means that by the time we get out there, I, I don't think we've ever had anybody not wanting to get involved. And I think there's been some guys who came out feeling a bit nervous about getting involved and being a bit like, I kind of am here for the race. And then mm. as soon as you get a pickaxe in your hand and you get to smash, how often do you get to do that anymore? That we all we all live in the offices. You don't get to swing a pickaxe in anger anymore. So it's quite interesting. To don't, see you? don't you? Don't <laughs> you? <laughs> don't work in my office. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, I mean, isn't it? I suppose it's. It, I suppose that's the other thing. It's, it's connecting you to doing. It's, it's well, yeah, connecting you to manual work when so mm. many, so many people. Um, I, I imagine. I imagine the demographic, and you complete. Correct me if I'm wrong here. I imagine the demographic is is. It's predominantly you know, the, the sort of people that can afford it, who are who will yeah. be office working, um, you know um, that that type of that type of audience. Completely, yeah. I think I think we have yeah probably about eighty ninety percent of the people who come on our trips would be guys who who sit in offices most yeah. of the year, and and this is a great like uh, adventure. It's a great goal. It's something to look forward to, um, and getting people connected to that, I think, is really important to understand. Like we've never. Because like, I, I don't know, I, again, I can't speak for you two, but I've never been involved in worrying about pipelines here in England um, and getting water. Like, that's just not a concept, right? But here in Nepal, in this village, like building a pipeline is a communal activity and everybody's out. You've got 120 villages up and down the pipeline as well. Like, that's that's a pretty remarkable thing just to get your head around. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, if you move into a village and people are like, well, there's water, but it's 5K away, so you have to build a pipeline. You'd be like, OK, I'm not going to move into that. Um, that doesn't sound like a good village to move into, but that's that's the norm. Um, yeah. And so, what what are the other projects then that people have typically done before before the race? So the one that I think we we really love is is that kind of captured everyone's imagination was the one in Guatemala, um, where this this lady Corinna has been working um, in leadership uh, in Guatemala, and that's that's a pretty interesting area because you've got two presidents that are in jail for corruption. Um, the current president, his mother and son are in jail for corruption. Um, you've got a country which has, has a lot of gang influence. And so leadership is not something that's, um, relevant to Guatemalans. They don't really think of leadership as a, as an important thing because leaders are corrupt. Leaders are, are exploit the system. So, um, 
you can build houses, you can build schools, and, and these are all like really important things. But what Corinna thought was, how are you ever going to make that systemic change that Guatemala needs? And you do that through having great global citizens as your leaders. And so she's developed this this project for youth leadership. And they've now got a 22, 23-year-old who's head of his municipality voted for by the. So um, what she's doing there is, is, is remarkable, but also like very ballsy because it's, it's going to take years before you see the impact of the work she's doing. It's not a feel-good, like build a house dig a well like these these things which are, I, i'm not trying to poo poo them but it's not that's not the results that that she can be sort of rewarded on um but she this was maybe a, a school for future presidents yeah exactly and and that's that's the hope and not just for guatemala but all of central america uh and she's got this piece of piece of land that she's been donated um 26 acres right on the slopes of of the volcanoes there and it's an incredible piece of land and she wants to build a leadership center there and once more that is not something that gets funded straight off the bat that's that's a crazy dream you know um mm. So we we decided to back that crazy dream. And, you know, this this year in Guatemala, we we dug the first ground on that leadership center. We started planting trees to ensure that the whole whole um, uh, land was was uh, in line with permaculture principles and ecologically sound because she wants it to be completely uh, a place where you've got social businesses, you've got uh, leadership training, you've got permaculture farming, you've got all sorts of different things there as a hub for for uh, for the future of Guatemala and the future of Central America. Um and it's a big project. Uh, but what was amazing was her coming the night before and explaining, like, this is what we do every day, but this is our dream. And the way the runners just, uh, the energy was extraordinary. I never experienced anything like it. It was, it was just like, okay, cool. And, and the next day we just went for it. And it was, that was real, really, really cool project. And, and so how much of um, like project like that is obviously very dependent on political will as well. Mm. And, and do you, do you feel that the marathon actually plays a part in winning over the locals and the administration as well? I think so. I, I don't know if I can give a, a decent answer to that one. I think lots when you first get there, um, we always go with the, the field of dreams, build it and they'll come approach. Um, some people buy it and get it and understand it. Others are really like confused and don't really get it and don't see the point or, or lots of things you, you get that but then as it gets closer to race day it's really interesting to see people sort of start to circle more and it's it's, it's quite interesting and then once you know we normally bring anywhere between 30 and 80 runners over and once you've got that sort of area of intrigue um but politically you, you know you also need to make sure the marathon doesn't become a political statement it's not we're not here to mm. uh, to to promote one mp over another we're not here to to play those games in every country you you, you want to sort of um connect with the local politicians uh, but you don't want them to sort of take advantage of what the race is this isn't a political statement this is a community coming together to just have a good run and and have you found that as the the race has continued each year i guess uganda's been going for the longest mm. but more and more locals have started to run in it and, and what kind of numbers would actually race alongside the westerners well i mean uganda's gone crazy now and I, after the first year and i moved on to doing impact so i haven't been so involved but they've moved on to sort of having three thousand runners and it's more a ugandan event now than than an international and which is like um a massively challenging route to go down and so i'm, mm. I'm amazed with with how well they've done it and it's been really good for us we've gone with slightly more technical trail running 
So for that reason, majority of our races aren't really suitable for more than 500 people on the course. Um, mm. So we tend to get around, uh, well, we're averaging now around 250 uh, runners per race. We'd like to get some of them up to about 500. Malawi's a race we could up it to, to maybe, you know, 500, 1,000 um, because it's a pretty open and flat course. Uh, but certainly Nepal and Guatemala are two courses that we we wouldn't we wouldn't want to have more than 500 people on. Um, and then we've got the Kenya race, which we, we, we just have an elite only experience. So we don't, we don't have lots of locals running the, the, the Kenyan race just because of the, the bureaucracy of athletics. Kenya means that putting on a race there is, is a heck of a lot of work. So we tend mm-hmm. to have more like a, a closed event. The elite runners come in there. Some of them train, some of them pace our guys. So each country is slightly different. You adapt to the market. Some countries have a really mature, trail running market others like malawi were in a village where no one had ever run a race before and the entrance was 10 pence so like to have 170 of those guys run was just phenomenal you know just Mm. just super cool how do you guarantee the the quality of the marathon itself um i'm only asking this based on my personal experience of sierra leone Mm. um how, you know, because people, as people, you know, they they're coming for for lots of different reasons, but essentially they're still running a marathon. So how do you, how do you make sure that it matches up to their expectations, that it still has all the things that they need in a marathon? Um, uh, and and uh, do you put anything in there in terms of how experienced a marathon runner you need to be, um, especially in in those type of conditions, or or, or or is there any kind of warning as to the fact that this isn't? this may not be like a, a, a typical marathon that, that they'll have run. Well, I, th- I think on, on the first side in terms of, do you mean like water stations and medics yeah. and those kind of things? Yeah. yeah. Um, so we, um, we hold the standards that we would have if this was a race in the UK. Um, so generally speaking, unless you're country, Edinburgh, <laughs> yeah. in which case there is no hydration. <laughs> no hydration. Yeah. That would be, a, yeah, not great on any of our courses really. Um, so we do, we do our best to make sure that we're we're leading these races as up to the standards that we can without like lessening the experience. So yeah. um, Nepal, for instance, we use natural water sources. Um, we we um, uh, sanitize the water there and then at, at at the station. But also, it's like it's common in Nepali races that, and if you've ever been to India and Nepal, you'll see this: that people raise a jug and they don't uh, touch their lips with it um and so you 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 often end up with it halfway down your top and it's always embarrassing but (laughs) it's fine in a race you don't really care so much but um so we we kind of stick to that that's how nepali's race and we don't want to sort of sanitize it to the point where uh here it is and we don't want to use single-use plastic unless it's absolutely essential so that's a really nice way so but we insist on people wearing camelbacks for instance um Mm, because although you know we have regular stops we know that in nepal there's there's nine kilometer stretch where we can't get water to apart from emergency water so i think preparing people um throughout that that time out there we've also started to do like two race briefings now so one when people first arrive just to give them that that confidence that we we've got everything under control this is sorted this is this um oh you know we had this race we just did in kenya where there'd been flooding in in different parts of the course so it's like well well, this is our plan a course this is what it looks like but just so you guys know when it you know there's 200 miles this way and it, it floods uh, it will flood these two rivers and 200 miles this way it will flood these two rivers so we may be changing the course on race day uh, 
and yeah, it came to race day and actually we found a group of hippos at one of the flood points. Um, so we had to change it completely 20 <laughs> minutes before the start. Um, but it wasn't, we had a, we had the backup plan. Um, so I think we've got that, you know, we've got, some, you know, uh, one of our race directors, Abby, who's come across from Ironman. Uh, we've got James who's come, been working with us uh, from, from Action Challenge and then Mark, who was uh, race director at Sierra Leone for a couple of years as well. So um, we've got quite experienced guys now um, cracking along with it. And we have a set of standards and a set of risk assessments that that we do uh, to ensure that the standards are kept and in terms of um the race um we give advice throughout the year i think we we may have we got it wrong a little bit in guatemala guatemala turned to be a lot harder course than we anticipated um in what way we uh, we well we got hit by by a 40 degree day and we got hit oh. by a uv warning um and that doesn't help anybody in any conditions and then you're starting <laughs> at 2000 meters you're going 300 meters vertically to the top of a volcano then down then that again and then through this southern lava field where there was you know lava fields aren't known for their vegetation um <laughs> and so you know there was it was you know you got the heat from the lava underneath you you've got the heat from the sky um so there was a number of different factors that meant it was, you know, we had guys who, who would normally run four hour races doing it in, in six and a half, seven. And so um, in that race, you know, there's, there's things that we'll tweak for next year that we'll make. We'll, we'll go at the volcano once. Once is enough. Um, those kind of little tweaks, um, because I think in that race is the only, only time where I felt people might have been a little bit out of their depth. So that, that was sort of a lesson we've learned and, um, and are changing now. Do you ever get? Do you ever get anyone rocking up like in plimsolls and a, and a park run <laughs> top and and uh, who completely signed up out of total ignorance and uh, have no idea what they're doing? There always seems to be someone like that when when you go to races like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly. That, I think the best one was definitely the Malawian locals. Um, they they had no idea how far 42 kilometers was like <laughs> not even a clue and we tried to explain it when they were signing up they were, you know because as soon as you say the numbers they were, you know the men would naturally go oh, 42 42 you always go for the biggest one um and we're like that's like running from here on Kope village to mangochi and back and either they'd go oh no 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 or they'd be like sure yeah no problem and you sort of <laughs> okay i don't think and so we had this at the end we had this this group of about seven guys who'd done the whole 42 kilometers just sat in a row and we were just like giving them <laughs> salts and water salts. And <laughs> one of those like, how am I going to get home? I'd planned to walk home, but I could barely walk. <laughs> we, we hadn't sort of anticipated having to taxi people back home to their villages um, because it's the only way to get around is cycling or walking. There's not even like that many motorbikes or anything locally. So um, it's Malawi's incredibly rural experience. Um, so I think, uh, for the most I'm underprepared definitely definitely the Nkope village in Malawi was was a really fun one and the other races yeah you get people who are just like I'm gonna finish no matter what and um, they plow on and and I always think it's amazing when we welcome that last person across the line because you know the first person has dug deep for you know three four hours or so this person's been digging deep out there for like eight and a half nine hours that it's just mind-blowing I don't I don't think I could do that I think that's that experience of the Sierra Leone that mm. partly um, because of the mentality of the people who were, were drawn to it, who some of them are definitely marathon runners, but a lot of people, it is the charity element. Mm, yeah. Um, but also the nearly everyone who was involved as an organizer was just almost too lovely. <laughs> and um, 
And so you ended up with people who were all just like so positive, but that didn't really have the real, the realization or, or that kind of smack in the face of, Hey guys, you're still going to have to run a marathon. <laughs> and, I know, and I know everyone's telling you it's brilliant because they're singing children and you're going to yeah. run through these villages, but you've yeah. still got to remember you're running a marathon. And if you were doing London marathon, you train for 16 weeks and this will be harder. And I think yeah. often there's that disconnect between the two. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I was thinking when, um, uh, when, when I was thinking back to the Sierra Leone, that there was, there's just that yeah realization from people that actually all the all the pictures and everything about how wonderful it is that <laughs> there is still a marathon and it's in tropical heat and there's mm. all these extra challenges that you would have in a that you wouldn't have in a marathon in the UK and you don't have all the all the, the services available you could, don't have you know nine 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 to call if something goes wrong there's yeah mm. there's just there's all these all these other things which for you as an organizer must must be you know incredible in terms of in terms of the challenges that brings. I mean, it's, I think we've, you know, we've done six races now, so it's almost like it's our job. Um, and, um, but I think in, in terms of the challenge, we, we work with the XR medics um, who, who are fantastic. And so they always have a team of seven plus medics that come out to our races and they they take a lot of the pressure off us yeah. on race day. Um, they're phenomenal. Um, and they're really good to have them through the week as well. They can often uh, take care of issues before they even come up. But yeah, certainly I know, you know, we have to be really, really focused on our hygiene and, and the food that we give people throughout the week, because that, that can blow up your marathon pretty quickly. Traveler's mm -hmm. tummy is not like, that that's the thing that happens we all get it um and so we're really strict in in that side of things um to a way that i yeah i, I think uh yeah I, I it's a totally different experience and i think as long as people are coming knowing that and knowing that a marathon's a long way and they're trained for it but they know they're going to walk a bit they know it's going to be tough i've seen the most amazing stories out there and sometimes you have to have those people who turn up and surprise you yeah in amongst those guys that turn up and you're like, oh, okay, this is going to be a bit nerve wracking. Um, out of those people come those guys that surprise you and they've become real stars. So th there's a balance there, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so have, cause with street child, for example, they, mm. they were already established as a charity. They had a team who were financed by the existing donations and they then started doing the marathon. I mean, how have you, have you managed to fund all this and how have you managed to, I guess, you personally stay afloat, um, managed to, to get it off the ground really when you haven't had that support behind you? Yeah. I mean, I do sometimes look enviously on at that. Um, <laughs> um, so I, st I started this um, very much off my own savings and uh, put my savings in then we got uh, good revenue. We partnered with Street Child in that first year. So mm. Street Child brought 28 guys over to Nepal in the first year, uh, and they, they'd already kind of had, had products in Nepal. So that was a really good partnership because that gave us like revenue straight from the beginning. So, so we're set up as, as both a, a business and a foundation. We have the business side where people pay us um, for that week-long experience. And mm. from that, like a normal tour operator or events, we drive a margin, and that's what keeps us sustainable. And then all the all the fundraising people do go straight into the foundation and straight out to the projects and we don't touch that so that's that's the model that we've set up um mm. which is a model that needs in order to for us to get to that kind of sustainability stage we need six seven eight races a year um so we've we've done it through you know 
two ways. We, we've, we've driven the revenues very hard and we've gotten white label events. So we put on races for charities. So we just did this big race with uh, a charity called Muscathlon um, over in, in Kenya uh, this June. And so we organized all of their logistics, including they have a 120 kilometer bike course in there as well. So we do all of that, but you wouldn't know it was impact. We just put on the red tops of Muscathlon and away we go. Um, and then the impact races as well and building that marketing. Um, we've had a small round of investment two years ago and um, as we were chatting about before, we, you know, we, we're now in this this crowdfund at the moment uh, and we're trying to raise uh, capital and investment that we can then put into marketing to really drive up. Because, as I said, until we get to eight races upwards, that's that's when we're actually being a, a reasonably sustainable business. And, and are you finding that people are trying, you know, going to all the new ones and, and generally staying repeat customers or mm. are you having to find new people for each one? Yeah, I mean, I think we've we've had, uh, I think we've just gone over twenty percent of of guys will will book a race, a new race within eighteen months. So mm. every other year or so, we'll end up with twenty percent repeat clients, which is fantastic. Um, Malawi this year was the first time people booked straight back on to go back to Malawi. So we launched the race for twenty nineteen, and and a load of people from twenty eighteen were like, we want to come back to that community, um, which mm. is really interesting because we haven't had that before previously the guys have gone on to do a different race and to, to race the series. Um, and I think in the end, people might well come back to the races that they started on, but we, we're yet to see that come to fruition. But certainly um, we've got a really, really, really cool group of people who come, come on new races and they've all started to kind of clump into the guys that they know. So it's quite exciting when they all meet again on a new continent to go through all this experience all over again. Um, it's pretty fun to see those relationships blossom. I think as well, if you've, it's it's quite a good um good marketing ploy if you get people to work on a project that is never going to be finished in one year <laughs> <You're always gonna laughs> work. that is very cynical david yeah <laughs> yeah You're let's not let's order. not get this finished so villagers don't have the water but we'll get more people back next year <laughs> but yeah i mean you didn't finish the job exactly guys that. you've got to pay again <laughs> You guys see right through me, don't you? Goodness, <laughs> you monster! <laughs> and, and and would you say that the? I mean, are the people that come just your typical runner and the, 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 exactly the same as a cross section of London marathon runners, or yeah. they? Oh, okay, spot on. Like like we get. Sorry, you can go with an or, and I'll see whether that's true as well. I might have just jumped the gun. Well, or you know, or not. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> I nailed it. Um, yeah, it's a massive cross section. We've got, you know, um, I think you've run a few times with with Keith McIntosh. You know, he's yeah. someone yeah, who, uh, until you turn up a race, I don't think anyone's going to beat him anytime soon at one of our races. Um, yeah, I'm and, not sure I'd beat him either. Too fair. So. Yeah, he's got an incredible racecraft. Um, he's, um, you know, he's our example of someone who's just a phenomenal runner. Um, but who loves the whole experience of the week and the run up to it. And he's been, uh, he's done some sort of like tutorial videos with people coming out as well to sort of give them that idea of what to think about um, and how to, how to enjoy that race as well. Because I think he's so used to doing marathons. He can give quite, quite useful advice to people. Mm. Um, 
and then we've got guys who sign up two weeks before and and come out and um they've been training and they didn't want to sign up till late because they're worried about getting injured and you have all of those different people we've got you know we've had a 76 year old with a pacemaker uh and we've had a 12 year old doing a 10k uh as his dad did the 42k so like a really really big mix of people and there's there's uh, it, that that's kind of fun uh, but what i think is lovely is that throughout the week you get to go on training runs and so you've already picked out if you're competitive, you can pick out, you know, oh that guy, he's not so good on the hills, you know, or whatever. That's when I can attack or something like that. Or if you if you're sort of just wanting to finish, you kind of find the people that run your pace and you're ready to go. And you've got running buddies before you even go to the race day, which is why I think people can relax come race day as well. They know that there's going to be loads of people they know out there. There's loads of people running past you who who are going to support you and give you a G up. And we also try and do it so that we usually have a looped course and we stagger it so that the, the 42Ks will be joined by the 21Ks who will be joined by the 10Ks. So everyone's finishing together and around the same time. So a 10-kilometer person can help a 42-kilometer person to the finish and that type of thing, which I think um, that's one of the really special things. Because mm. have, you, have you had... Um... Have you had challenges then um, with trying to put on more than one distance? And I mean, have you had challenges in general with, with the races in, in any of the countries? Yeah, I mean, designing the courses can sometimes be really wonderful and then sometimes be the, the most challenging thing in the world. I think um, the distances adds a complication, but I think I've, I, I think I came into this not having ever even organized a 5K in Finsbury Park, right? So when... As we started doing Uganda and I'm doing Nepal. I've not known differently than mm. to do a 10, 21 and 42 K course with loops. Um, mm. So I guess I don't quite know what the opposite would look like to have just one distance. It sounds delightful. Um, but this, this race we just put on for, for Muscathlon that started with a 63 K walk starting at 2 AM. And then this mountain bike is starting at 6 AM with, with a 42 and a 21 and a 63 K run. Um, so we had the course open for 15 hours, which is mental. Um, so that was a new challenge for sure. Uh, but I don't think we've known anything different because I've only ever known putting it on in fairly extreme environments. That's just how I put on races, I think. And and the team's quite much, very much the same. And how have you dealt with, um, I think in some countries, there is certainly a different culture towards um, employment, towards uh, time mm. and uh, you know, being even punctuality things like a marathon you need you need punctuality, yeah you think that's the only own again <laughs> yeah but you, you obviously need guaranteed things at guaranteed times in a marathon mm. because it, it does affect safety whereas in you know in other projects it might not necessarily be as critical i mean how have you have you dealt with that culturally i think part of that is is learning and we were usually out there for for a few months before so people kind of the guys that you're working with get get used to it. And um, part of it's lying. You just tell them when the race is starting and it's two hours earlier. Um, mm. I think that that's that's definitely the most effective way to do it. Um, but I think now we've we've developed a bit of a system. So Malawi, for instance, we knew what the that we we were going to start it early because of the sun, you know. Um, and we we started it super early. But then you've got all the setup which you now have to do in the dark. So instead. We got and we did the setup in the day and we employed a couple of security guards through the night to make sure everything stayed in place. So when we turn up in the morning, 
we're good to go. Um, I think the only time we've had a, a big issue was in, again, Guatemala. We just had one of those days. And um, yeah, the, the National Park, who uh, were, were, were going to be sort of bringing along electricity supply and tables and all that, none of it arrived. We sort of kept on delaying and delaying. And then you just can't. So we just rolled the back of the pickup and the pickup became our registration zone and there's our desk. And so, um, yeah, I, I think culturally some countries take to it better than others. And, and we always have our own race director and rate and impact week leader leading it. So we've tried to hand it off again to have more locals, uh, like a local race director and it tends not to work out so well. So, um, as much as we'd like to, and I know that that Mark, who's 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 our head of ops and from from the Sierra Leone race, he's um, he's very keen to start really training up great guys in the country. Uh, but but his his experience says that takes three to five years sometimes. Um, but again, each country is different. Guatemala has some phenomenal race directors, and we could easily start working with them. But it comes with a different cost and a different sort of expectation from them as well. Are there mm. any um, uh, countries or destinations that you um, have tried to work with or you've had in mind, but for some reason, other politics or things <laughs> might that they haven't taken off? Uh, Colombia. Colombia is like the thorn in my side. Like, <laughs> I love it. So my, my girlfriend, I met my girlfriend out there. Um, and uh, so I, I'm constantly going back there as well. And um I just really want this to happen, but it's uh, it's slowly, slowly on this one. We we tried to go for it. We launched it. Um, we had a very, very famous uh, pop star, Colombian pop star, um, involved, and there just was was challenges with having him. Having no, Shakira. Oh, if only we were close. She, she's actually from the, uh, the 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 city just down the way. And as we were launching this, she was doing a duet with this this guy Carlos Vives, who's um, for a Spanish speaker, he's in Colombia. He's he's more popular than Shakira, um, mm. and so we were working on that. But but actually, that came with challenges because once he's involved, people think about things differently, and it's in his hometown and all that. We still have all the plans in place, but I think now that this uh, situation with Venezuela, Santa Marta, which is the hometown of the race, is right on right near the border of Venezuela. So it, there's some challenges there. I, it will happen mm. at some point. The whole team wants it to happen. Um, I obviously have fallen completely in love with the country as well. So uh, I really want it to happen. But we got close to the time and, and just the politics between Carlos Vives, the mayor. Um, it was a challenging course. We were trying to go through the city um, and the road closures needed and all of these things. I think we were too young. We bit off a bit more than we could chew. Um, we never anticipated to have, you know, a man that huge involved. I'd never heard of him when I met him. I didn't have a clue who he was. Mm. Uh, but when you tell a Colombian that you know you're working with Carlos Beavers, the eyes light up. It's 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 like saying you're working with Posh and Bex. It's that kind of thing, you know. It was like that when I when when we started this podcast. I didn't really know who <laughs> David was, and then I, I re- soon realised that he was a um, massive a, in Colombia, <laughs> massive, <laughs> massive, yeah. a massive podiumer in in lots of countries I'd not heard of before. Mm. But. Because where were you? Where else are you thinking of going next, Sam? I mean, have you got a, a big long list, or are you, do you just take it one at a time? No, it's always a pipeline, isn't it? You, you know, and everyone's always come up with new ideas, and you get introductions all the time. Um, that we're never short of new countries to go to. I've got, yeah, I've got a pipeline of races. I think I can't really say at the moment. Is is anyone actively trying to get you? I mean, are there countries who are who like mm. approaching you and saying like, you know, we need this? 
Um, yeah, there's both, a couple of tourism boards, a couple of tourism boards, and every tourism board's different. Some are, are, are really kind of um, not that helpful. Others are, you know, will throw cash at anything. Yeah. Um, so that's that's been quite interesting. And when we talk to tourism boards, they're really keen to support now because um, once you can show, you know, um, that you're bringing across that amount of people, yeah. this, you know, a lot of them go on to do other things in the country. Um, that that's quite an interesting kind of next step for us now that we've shown what we're doing in all the different countries um the conversations are a lot easier than three years ago when we started and i was just pitching this silly idea and most tourism boards were didn't really get it and and didn't really support very well but nowadays the conversation is getting easier and and they can just look on google and see what we've done before and and, and that definitely helps so you've you've now doing a kickstarter hopefully by the time this podcast has come out um mm. it will be fully funded everything successful everything glorious um mm. and we'll post it in the facebook group ahead of time just uh, so thank you can actually donate to that um before this comes out but talk us about the motivation behind that and and what you're really intending to do with the the funds so um I mean, firstly, it's 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 very much an investment for guys. It's not just uh, a donation. It's not just sort of uh, uh, buying a product, but it's actually an investment in the company that we're building. So we've got like three main things that we're working on in the company. One is uh, to, to lift the amount of people that know about impact. We've 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 built the races. Um, our sales kind of keep on going up, but they're not. You know, we need to get each race to be breaking even and, and making money in the future so that it's sustainable. Um, then we want to build more white label races. You know, we've got this, this race in Rwanda and, and the Kenya race. And we've, we've even got a, a contract coming up for a really cool and immersive experience that this charity is putting together in Brighton. That's going to go through the night um, from like 2am to 6am. And you keep on running up and down the promenade and we're going to have shipping containers and all sorts of different things to try and make it feel immersively within the world of, of human trafficking. I know that's really hard to explain, but it's an extraordinary idea so they've given it to us to try and bring to life sounds um, like a sussex trail marathon um, <laughs> <laughs> they, they do they do events along those lines yeah. but, sorry I can, go ahead yeah go so these white label events are what we're uh, are kind of becoming uh, really important to us as a as a logistics provider for charities and, and corporates who want to put those things on in different countries you know our skill set is if you want to do a six-day ultra across turkmenistan in six weeks time we can put that on um and uh, then the other side is really starting to build up our corporate sponsorship. Uh, these races need to, are, are a fantastic way for for uh, to engage people in a way that that's really unique. And we know that um, the content that we can get from these races is pretty special for for any uh, whether it's a running brand or whatever who wants to to be involved. And that's how again we drive towards sustainability. You know, there's 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 not money in one race. You know, there's not. Uh, enough what we're trying to do is build up a sustainable model that then is able to generate vast amounts of money every single year for the charities and that's the net goal you know i think when i got into this the whole vision was like how do you how do you use business to to firstly be a positive example of how business can be run and secondly to generally genuinely tackle the biggest issue facing the world at the moment um and that was my background before so that's the exciting thing so now we're bringing on the investment that's that's exactly what our model is is to say look we're a business we run ourselves as a business that's that's really like uh has perfectly like strong intentions to to make social impact wherever we go and we're a big corporation to prove that and all these different types of things that finance people can quite enjoy um but on the other side of that we also want to show um 
you know, not only what business can be from how we run it, but how business can be from the results and the impact that we have and, and the thoughts that we have in terms of if someone comes out to our race, how do they return? I don't want them to return and quit their job and feel like the corporate world's a disaster. I want them to return and go, cool, we can make changes in our corporate that will have an impact all the way down our supply chain. And and to really think about the impact we have when we're in London, you know, we, we impact the whole world, the whole world. And people the more that we can get people to understand that i've gone off on a tangent i've got a complete tangent haven't i no no where am i i'm swimming <laughs> hey <laughs> tangents is what all of this is all about <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we our dream is that everyone comes back from these races and it's just fired up to to be a global citizen and to to change their part of the world not change the whole world but you know uh, it, we've had a, a lady from Canada who never really ran before she came over and now she takes her children out on a run every single Saturday. You know, that in its own little way is is having that in positive impact in in that community in Ottawa. Um, and people who've who've changed the way their company does stuff, who've encouraged more 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 giving within their, their company, who've directed the funds in different ways uh, to guys who've who, yeah, who've looked at their supply chain and gone, actually, we need to change the way that we treat the people all the way down the supply chain. That's that's the vision, really, is that this business can have a knock on effect in businesses all over the world. This was it basically it- reconnecting. Um, it's almost this sounds very hippie like your consciousness with with the you know other people around the globe <laughs> mm. it does sound very hippie doesn't it i know it sounds very hippie. <laughs> but, yeah, we're, we're like, <laughs> no it's like because you know with with facebook and everything else we we can become aware you know and and, and, and social media and uh and the access to information we have we can become aware of everything that's happening but actually go you know the opportunity to go and I actually see people face to face in the in that situation mm-hmm. it does have a lasting impact. I mean, I defy anyone who went who has been to Sierra Leone um, uh, before or since not to have been affected by um, doing that. And you know, you can be you can you can really understand a cause and you can uh, give to a cause, but it's not until you actually see it um, uh, in action and see people interacting with the the things that you have either helped with or you've seen them in the situations they're in. And how not just you know, the way that your you know things like you know, the, the money that you raise for them helps them, but you can also see the impact of things, other things that you've done. And, you know, your, you know mm. your 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 choices of things like what you buy, the the choices that mm. you make at home, how that has an impact on you know even things like um, uh, like climate change and stuff like that. How you know the choice of cars you drive is having an impact somewhere else. It, it it's those things on those scales, and without you know we we, we kind of we live in basically a. I'm going off on a tangent now, and I'm sounding like Keep I'm going, making some sort, of, some sort of play for some global leadership here. But... We're going to get Nick to put some moving background music that kind of build through this section. So by the end, everyone's you know, properly in, but... probably everyone's standing by now. I was about to say, rise up, comrades. We can, all, we can, we can make the change. We can make the change. I but think there's, add, um, there's, I think she's she's quite a big, big member of the community. The the Melbourne community is, is Charlotte Horton, and she was in our. She's done a number of our races now. She's done the whole lot: Sierra Leone, Uganda, yeah, Nepal, Guatemala, and she's signed up to Malawi. She's she's collecting the the full set. Um, and she came along, and, and she in Guatemala, 
we went and visited this women's collective and what was really fun was that there was a chia bush you know and we yeah. buy our chia seeds in 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 whole food shop or wherever we are extraordinary price um but here you are this is it in reality and i think what what she was saying was you know how little we connect with like the earth and the free I mean, I'm, I'm being happy as well we're going for it guys um, but like we don't connect with the earth we don't you know our our, our chicken comes plastic wrapped as a perfect breast and that's just not what a chicken starts as and um like understanding all of the different things just seeing where watercress growing in a pond in guatemala and seeing where these things came from i think that really um like there's such a thing as black sweet corn never seen that before that's extraordinary um uh, that that connection with the earth I think is something that we very much lose living in cities and offices. Um, and once you connect people to that, it's th that's the whole kind of experience you're trying to create is it's not just let's go and visit projects, but actually we try and put people out in nature because if you put people in a hotel room, they stay in a hotel world. And, and by taking people and having a campsite rather than hotels, you, you open up that mindset to, I don't know, you know, it's just like when you go on a long walk, not even a run, but you go on a long walk in nature, people talk more. And they open up more and they chat more and they're more not they're less afraid to to hold back like we do so much, especially living in London. But do you think um, I guess my my worry would be because it's obviously amazing what's happening, but that actually by tying everything to a marathon, it's limiting how big the the impact can be to limiting how much money can be raised how many people will do it so do you think you do you think you'll there'll obviously be a lot of projects that you'll it will never be enough money or support to be able to get off the ground but also do, do you think that's a limitation or do you think you also will then be impact triathlon <laughs> impact dare i say iron man impact <laughs> and actually have to branch out to be able to get the the critical mass for for bigger grandi grandiose schemes um i th i think both of what you're saying is kind of right like we we decided to do one thing really well and that's that's running events um and focus in on that and it's not like you know we haven't obviously we we know that triathlons are pretty popular. We have the rights to impact triathlon series as a, as a name. You know, we, we're, we're thinking ahead about where this could go. But right now, we're focusing on running and making that that difference there because you can't change everything. You can't tackle everything. And, and you, you know, every time we bring out a new event, we we have to know that there's there's enough people who want to do that to make it a sustainable event. So um, there's the, the sort of um, happy, mindful Nick, which says it's it's good we're in the right place um we're doing one thing really really well it's yes it limits us to the running market but you know running is is so beautifully accessible that, that that's okay um and this is this is our, our challenge and this is our goal um and then there's excited entrepreneur nick that's always just like oh we could do this and we could do this and we could do this and then yeah like yeah we should do an ironman and 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 all of that um uh, I think it's, it's two stages to it. And the first stage is, is make sure that we get reputation for really, really high quality professional standard events that um, impact people on a deep level. And once we can do that, then I think, yeah, it'd be great to, to look at other things. And, and, you know, we already have some ideas around triathlons for sure. I've got some ideas around triathlons if you want them. Do you? And I think so what you should be known as, you should be known <laughs> for having the best, most beautiful uh, impactful you know marathons so they you know in, in wonderful environments and then go totally the opposite way 
of having the worst sufferfest <laughs> in the most polluted, <laughs> disgusting places that obviously need help, but have the triathlons mm. there. So people, you know, the, the swim is through oil and rubbish. <laughs> And <laughs> and then they're cycling on like broken roads, and so they're really feeling the impact, the you know, mm. the, the 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 damage to the infrastructure and everything that goes with it. And I th- I I think that that would be a really good angle to go with. <laughs> or um, you could you could get them on their their six thousand pound bikes with uh, you know all these gadgets, cycling through starving children, so they can just know wow. how much they've spent yeah, on their bike ex- yeah, when they ma- see yeah, absolutely. Or encourage them to take out huge uh, life insurance premiums, and then just you know have have some situations go awry for the sake of the the, the donations you'll receive from them. I mean, these are all good options. <laughs> I love someone shipping out, spending all that money to ship out like a a six thousand pound bike that would be basically could fund an entire school, and then putting them on the spot and saying, "Will you give up your bike for this school?" And then make it impossible for them to. But they're literally just a, tour. a trap. Yeah, it's a trap. A giant triathlon trap. This is amazing. We we have to yeah. cut this part of the podcast so that they don't find out. About well, we, it. the problem is we've now got to find a secondary market for a six thousand pound bike in 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 Sierra Leone. We have to ship it all the way back now. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, details, details. We can work it all out later. <laughs> Um, and so if, um, for the listeners then, which, mm. which ones did you recommend? Which ones are coming up? Uh, what are the options or the alternatives? Um, well, no, Nepal's like the, the baby that started it all. And, and I, I, I'd love to see people light up when they first sort of see Kathmandu. Um, I, people ask me kind of like, what's, uh, what's my favorite one? And, and, and truthfully, like it is kind of the next one coming up. So the next one is Kenya, um, which is through the tea plantations. We have Boston marathon champions, world record holders, all of these guys who come and just run. Um, and we do like, a, it's a bit more focused. We work with Martin Yelling on this one and, um, he comes and, and organizes, uh, track sessions with elite Kenyans and stuff. So it's a much more, kind of, if you look, if you love your split times and you love, you know, all things serious running, then then Kenya's kind of the one that I think people love. If you love your trail running, then then Nepal. Um, if you're up for just a really unique experience, then Guatemala is just the most surprising country in the series. And Guatemala as a it doesn't really fall into the british psyche too much we don't really consider it much in our everyday lives Mm. um but it's the most surprising country of the lot like you land there and it's so beautiful and um the volcanoes and the lakes and the people and the mayan culture all of these things it's just i think what was exciting this year was sharing it with people for the first time and everyone's eyes just lighting up because they hadn't realized that this incredibly beautiful country where you can literally watch a you know, a volcano erupts most days. Um, I, I, it comes with its downsides, and, and we we saw that uh, in June when we we were we were heavily impacted. One of our projects was heavily impacted by the eruption uh, that happened with Fuego. Um, but so Guatemala's one for the guy. You know, if you really want a completely new experience, and then Malawi's so rural that we're living right in the middle of this fishing village. Where um, I mean, it's 
it's extraordinary really and we walk to the community walk in the community every day all our projects within five minutes walk away the race itself goes through five or six different villages um if you love running on sand it's definitely the one to choose um because there's like three kilometers of sandy beach um, if which you is really love running on the sand can you can yeah you, can you point, can you point out the, the individuals who think that, who, who love running on the sand <laughs> you guys you guys from naked gun <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it takes a certain a certain person, but yeah, it's it's totally flat. It just has sand, so you know, it has sand. It could be quite good for MDS training. Yeah, it's perfect for MDS training. Perfect. And with you, you've mentioned that there's quite a few elite runners at the mm. the Kenyan Math, and that they'll they'll actually run with you. Yeah. Could you offer a premium service where you can guarantee individuals who pay enough that they will beat? a Boston Marathon champion finish <laughs> I mean uh, yes it, I mean the problem is it's going to get lost in translation between between us brokering that deal and that guarantee and the Kenyan um, but certainly like you know what we do with the Kenyans is we say that you can either come and use this as a training run or you can come and run with our guys and what that means is that you still get that experience of being overtaken by a Kenyan in full flight um, uh, when the guys are doing their training runs. But then you get the experience of also running and being paced by, yeah, a, a Boston Marathon champion, which is what happened last year. And, and you know, she, she ran a 5.30, which is which is slow um, for a Boston mm. Marathon champion, it would wow, appear. Um, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, but that, that spirit and that experience, and we, we do a big party at the end and, and we're changing it a little bit this year and we're having the party down there at the finishing line. And you're right in the middle of an incredible tea plantation and you've got a tough climb, but at the end you see the Rift Valley. Um, oh, I can't wait to get back there. It's only a month away now. So, yeah. That sounds incredible. Oh, yeah, that sounds really good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's also quite a fun one because we work with in Caricho um, and Caricho is sort of like uh, the, the not famous Eton. Um, it doesn't have as many runners, um, but it has um, it has some some of the big names. It has the the recent lady who who broke the three thousand meter world record, and um, this stable of runners is about two hundred of them. And um, but they're really really welcoming. And on my first day there, um, they said, "I'll oh, come and run a race with us. It's it's a public race. Anyone can enter." And I ended up coming last by twelve minutes, which was horrible. I had the the vehicle sweeping me up, handing me water. Um, and my girlfriend at the finishing line pleading with them not to close the course because because you know i was the only non-elite that turned up um and then after that they took me under their wing and they invite you to the training and you run with them and they start a fart leg at 318 and you know you, you you last 200 meters and um but they're really really welcoming and open to it and i think that's different to when you go to Eton, where everyone's just so focused you got you know a few thousand runners there and it's so competitive. Um, we really like this Caricho work because it's, it's with these guys and the coach there's just uh, just a hero. Um, and he loves loves welcoming everybody into his group. Oh, amazing. Well, um, have you got any other questions, JD, you want to cover or anything else you'd want to bring up, Nick, or discuss? It's good from my side. Good from my side too. I think we've covered everything. I just, just, mm. in, just in terms of, I don't know whether this is something you want to mention or not, but just in terms of like, what, what's the kind of, what's the kind of like cost, the investment in, in these mm. things? Does it range and, you know, and, and does, does that include flights or anything else? What, what, what can people expect? Yeah. So it's, um, the basic package at every race starts at 495 pounds and that's for the bring your own tent option. Um, then are usually around 645 pounds. We provide like a, 
a nice tent, a big tent, a safari tent with um, uh, mattresses and bedding. And then you get into the high level where we provide a bed as well. And then every country is slightly different. In Guatemala, for instance, we have these tree houses that look out, you know, and so we sell those tree houses about 995. Um, but that includes everything. So that includes from the pickup uh, to putting you back. It doesn't include beer, but that's about it. All of your food, accommodation, transport, race, stash, all of that stuff's included in there. So it starts at 495 and goes up to our highest price package is, is Guatemala 995. And then um, you arrange your own flights. Um, we don't get involved in that. That's an incredibly stressful thing to do. <laughs> I can imagine. And what, so you mentioned a very important thing there, actually, before we go. Mm. What, are, what are the best beers that uh, you can have on uh, on, on some of your thing? What, what, are, your, what are your favorite tipples? That's a really good, good. One thing that was disappointing was that in Malawi, they have just Carlsberg is like the Carlsberg. drink. But they it's didn't special... call it Carlsberg. It's a green. So you have two greens, please. It's a special, um, special, isn't special brew like the highest? It's, yeah. I found myself when I was in Malawi drinking special brew when I'd never Yeah, special brew is so. definitely nicer than, than a green. So you can have a special or a green. Um, so that, that was disappointing. Um, I think in Kenya, uh, Tusker. Tusker, yeah. In um, Nepal, it's the Gorka beer, um, which you can actually buy here, actually. You can buy Tusker and Gorka here. Um, Gorka is good. Everest is overrated. Um yeah, Gorka. And then in uh, Guatemala, Gaio is like the famous one, but it's... Yeah, I'm not going to comment on Gaio. Um, <laughs> Amazing. And, it's and very famous. About, you, you but I'd like to sponsor the race, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned about the fundraising raising mm. element. Um, is there a, a limit or a certain expectation that comes with each race? Well, we have a team target and we want to use this because, again, we don't like it to be a punitive thing where it's like, you know, you have to raise two and a half thousand pounds to get your place. Um, partly because I don't think there's a way for us to enforce it so much because we actually seen about 30 percent extra after the race. Mm. I think Nepal year one, we were on 45,000 before. 75,000 by race day and we finished on on over 100,000 so um we set a team target and we ask everyone to set their target within there like how much can you contribute towards that goal um and we encourage that in an ideal world everyone would be raising about 1200 pounds and that would go so so far um but we we also take it upon ourselves to say come out and we're going to show you why this money is so powerful. And if we can show them that, generally speaking, people go home and they, they raise a lot, lot more. Um, but our, we, we really try and encourage everyone to, to be thinking over a thousand pounds, because if we're raising two and a half grand to get a free place in London, we can raise twelve hundred to to go to a, a community in Nepal. Um, but but I try and make sure that people think about it in a unique way. Don't just don't just if you've done it before, don't just hammer friends on Facebook and all of that. That can work and that can get you a few hundred pounds easily um but think it outside the box you know wax your tire body and auction off where people can rip a strip off um organize a evening of races and get everybody in a pub put on old races and all gamble and 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 on on races from the 1980s and you can raise i've seen people raise four and a half five thousand pounds in one night just from doing a race night if you make it ostrich racing even better um no one knows how to gamble on ostrich racing. <laughs> Plus it's thematic, isn't it? It's thematic. So, so think outside the box with your fun. And corgis, I've heard corgis is also good racing to gamble on as well. But um, uh, yeah, 
that's something that that's a far easier way to raise money. There's simple ways to raise money than just just nagging people on Facebook. Yeah. I think, and we try and really encourage that. Um, you can do all your whole fundraising target and some with just just pair up with another another runner and and gun it for for one month and you're done. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's um, I mean the races do sound fantastic actually, and they're, mm. the the good thing is they're in locations that I think people genuinely would want to go on holiday or to visit. You know, and and are really attractive countries in their own right so um is there yeah. is there anywhere that you'd want to see a race i mean i probably bhutan mm. just because it it seems to be the one country that is completely unique in its outlook yeah. and um, and also so few people other than spike have ever been there because of the <laughs> you know hundred dollars a day tax um, yeah but probably something like that, actually. But mm. um, I mean, my my knowledge of poor, of you know, poverty and, and which countries are in the greatest need isn't isn't that extensive. So, um, and I guess that's probably how you'd want to drive it because that's uh, you know the the real the real vision behind it. Um, but I mean, we can ask the do better community if there's any particular countries they've they've always thought they'd love to go and race, and there's mm. you know, nothing in that area. Um, but I mean, I, I you know, as as a as a runner, Kenya is high up on the list because yeah, because yeah, of the culture. You know, Ethiopia is amazing, and I think Kenya would would outdo that. So uh, mm. yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been amazing. Do bad yeah, thank you. Um, we'll be potentially looking at getting one race that we choose to try and all attend because uh, I think it would be really really good experience. Uh, one thing that would be would be potentially a good tie-in that we were talking about last week on the show. We always end up as runners with kits. I mean, is that an issue for people locally that they they can't get access to trainers, to tops, to shorts? It, it is. Um, it's something we try and do really responsibly as well. Um, so if we just sort of turn up with, uh, you know, people obviously come out with with loads of spare trainers and stuff mm. um, and, and kit. And this is really important but what we try and do is make sure that we it's not like something where you sign up and you get a pair of shoes or whatever because that creates um uh, a culture that that isn't really what we're about so every country again is slightly different but malawi's been the best example of this where we're trying to set up a running club in mkope village um mm. and so now regularly 10 15 guys are coming running having been very much one or two people uh, in the whole run up to the race uh and so we're starting to sort of use those shoes to encourage that um those guys in the community that are, are taking running a bit more seriously and seeing that bigger power um and then in other countries uh kenya for instance you would we would sell them at a, a dollar or two dollars push uh well per pair of shoes um and that's affordable for for you know a lot of the community that we work in in kenya and actually then that that raises if people bring out 500 shoes that raises another 500 dollars that goes into the charities so there's sustainable mm. ways to do it rather than just giving out free stuff and we really try and avoid doing that um it doesn't it doesn't really help anybody in the long term it, it's more like makes us feel good um but we link up with good uh athletics clubs and stuff and and do it responsibly because i think that's something where we can potentially help out with because mm. i think as actually do bad as compared to nearly any other club that i know of um run more races uh than you know we do get people who sometimes run two or three over a weekend so i think we've got a huge excess of, yeah. of race shirts <laughs> so um if there's a way in which we can just get a yeah a system of getting them to you or getting them to someone who can then pass them on 
um we're all i'm always looking to have a clean out and so i think other people are very similar so we can somehow set that up that would be really really That'd be fantastic um, yeah yeah absolutely perfect perfect brilliant and if um, if people want to stay in contact with you follow you feedback what, what's the best way for them to do that um, well, I mean, we've got it's, uh, at Impact Marathon on uh, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, and if you just go to the Impact Marathon website, uh, impactmarathon.com, and leave your email. And we've got uh, a pretty regular uh, newsletter that goes out every month that gives you the updates and uh, special offers when we do a, a launch. We normally now launch with uh, an extra cool trip. So we had a, a volcano hike uh for free if you launch if you jumped into the first week of guatemala and uh, malawi we've got a couple of days on the beach there so our launch offers are getting pretty cool now uh, no discounts just more cool experiences nice mm. yeah it's cool. yeah well mate that's fantastic what you're doing we're loving it yeah. and uh, thank you we, we wish you all the luck with the kickstarter and and with future races if there's anything we can do to help them do get in touch brilliant thanks guys amazing cheers Back, Nick. bye <laughs> Yeah, man, that was good. That was a great episode. Yeah. Um, just just hearing about the different countries. and I mean, I love the idea of how they're, they're changing what they do with the money as well, that it's not just giving it to a charity. It's actually getting involved in a project that they can see through. And uh, But which one do you want to do? I don't know. I, the thing is, I, I, kind of like, I, I kind of like the Kenya one, but it's, I think Lake Malawi one I'd like to do. Lake Malawi is mm. lovely. Um uh but then I've, I've i don't really know those other places I've never, i don't i don't know what nicaragua is like um is that where thomas blanc was rating it was yeah oh cool so actually it would i think that's meant to be a pretty amazing place to visit anyway mene's gone there i think my friend ali and sweetheart went there or, or, or certainly very close if it wasn't nicaragua um I love the idea, though, of people um, rocking up and in preparation of the marathon, they've got to build a fucking pipeline for some <laughs> villages because there's no grumbling about that. There's no going, oh, you know, I can't, I'm supposed to be tapering and all this sort of stuff. They're like, these people won't have water if you don't, like, fucking do this. You're like, shit, shit. Yes. Um, it is great. It is great. I, and the thing is, I so knew as soon as I mentioned Challenge Annika, uh, he, he wouldn't know the reference. Oh, these the youngsters these Youngster, days. I did it. I, I went to work and I mentioned. I talked about the podcast uh, at work and uh, mentioned Challenge Annika. It literally just was the oldest people in the office just going, "Oh yeah, was that the one with the helicopter?" And they were standing around the thing. I'm like, "No, that was Treasure Hunt. Challenge Annika was different." Um, it was, he was. It was always a Romanian orphanage, wasn't it? It was always a Romanian orphanage, or or it was a. Um, if they did it abroad, as a it was an orphanage, a Romanian orphanage, regardless whether we're in Romania or not. And at yeah. home, it yeah. was always a sports hall of some sort next to a football pitch, wasn't it? it yeah, was all, I mean, yeah. that, that literally was the two things that you got with Challenge Annika. And that's because orphans need football pitches, so it came together perfectly every time. What it's I wonderful. did understand is when they were building the Romanian orphanages in all these different places, um, they never shipped enough Romanians in um, without parents to to fill up these Romanian orphanages. Um, but uh, yeah, the. Uh, I, I don't know how we've gone to that. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, so, but, um, well, I mean, it, it's such a good cause. And um, it's interesting. I'm, oh, we should have asked him actually how much of it was inspired by Street Child and how much of it was just, uh, you know, coming up with his own, own accord. Um, I love the ideas. I love the ideas about the people courting them and stuff like that. For 
it's just it's so it's so difficult, isn't it, to to cut through like the politics and stuff. I I I, I I'm fully aware that I've turned proper hippie in this episode um, mm. with 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 some of my comments, um, but it's really difficult to to like well, that fine line between um, you know being able to like help people on the ground, but not interfere politically with with a, with a, with a country with the, with the way that you like support it and stuff and there's so many places that are like that that you know I could, I, the thing he was asking you know what was the one that you really want to do and i'd really like to do something in zimbabwe mm. um because i think it's a i think it's a, you know like a beautiful country and everything but it feels like it's a country that kind of needs something like that because of the perception of it and everything um but yeah. you're always but you're always conscious like how much is this support you know for example if you did one in um, like I'm trying to think of somewhere with a let's say like the North Korea marathon, yeah. For example, you're like you think okay that'd be great that'd be a great marathon to do, but you're you're you know implicitly you're supporting the the regime there by giving them publicity and is what you're doing there actually helping people on the ground and stuff like that. This is much clear clear cut and this is this is the right way to do it because you are actually that money is definitely going to those people because you you're, you're actually building the thing yourself. Um, but I think it's I think it's that's a quite a difficult um uh, line to tread with a, with a lot of places and it's interesting that like places are courting them now in order to get you know cash um in terms of you know western um uh western tourists coming over and and yeah But actually interestingly what you were saying about Chinese Annika because I remember afterwards and and we had this because I um I I went to orphanages in in Romania a couple of times myself and it's really hard to because you're helping the poorest people in these countries but actually the other people in the country aren't particularly well off either and so challenge annika went in they gave them all these toys and facilities and you know these play pens and, and, and created this wonderful orphanage school for them but the trouble is that that was then better than any school the locals had and so that they did a big exposure that Oh, did they? Yeah, like four or five months later, and all of the, all of the, um, because the parents of the, the the parents who were in the school, who were you know paid employees, yeah, all the stuff was better than the stuff they had for their kids. So they obviously looked after their kids, and it all ended up just being stripped essentially. And we had to, we had to, um, when we went to Romania, we had to really work closely with the local. Partly the locals, the local school, the uh, the the local government, so that you really get the will behind empowering and and like tr- transforming these orphanages, and they see the benefit of it, so that it it is lasting in its effect. And that's yeah. that's and that's the hard thing. You've got to try and engage the government, but at the same point, you've got to do that without necessarily then putting your backing to one of the that, politicians and that's it that's exactly it that's exactly it that's the, that's a really hard difficult thing to tread so i imagine there's probably a lot of lot of places where you want to go in you want to like for example imagine right you know if the situation in syria was better than it was now it wasn't a civil war mm. anymore and there was a syria marathon uh was it like a um uh, a marathon in um uh, damascus or something like that and you're like it'd yeah. be good to go over there because it'd be seen as you know um uh, if it was helping and it was helping build bridges and stuff like that but essentially, are you supporting that regime by doing it because you are normalising, um, you know, people coming back to it? And it's 
it's it, it, I think that's the, that's the real difficulty with 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 what those charities have to do. Mm. Um, it's almost you know neutralizing who you know that this is for this is for this is being done for the people on the ground, and well, actually, I think that's a general that's a general problem all charities have in any of the places that they go into. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely because there are going to be different villages who have um, have rivalries and who are potentially enemies. And so if one village gets help, then that could cause a rift that can actually lead to more issues than you're solving. Um, yeah, really tricky one. And, and actually, I think the smaller you are, to a certain extent, it means you can hopefully be a little bit off the radar. But unless you can help everyone um, or at least be seen to be making a big impact on lots of people's lives, that's when it can become a lot more political um, and tricky. Yeah, absolutely. But I just, I, th- I love the idea of um, using, um, you know, running tourism as a way of, as a force for good. I think, I, do you think we've put him off the, uh, the triathlon idea? Well, I, my hardest. To, I mean, to be, my hon- hardest. <laughs> to be honest, he's just, the, the, the trouble it always is with, triath- with triathlon, you've got to get bikes over there. And so that just becomes prohibitively expensive, but also then um, punctures, you know, tires and then the road's been good enough all these things it's how, it, it, it sounds like you've been framed video doesn't it it sounds like a you've been framed clips trailer of um of hilarity in many ways and you some ways, if, you, if you want to bring joy to an area that's probably the best way to do it <laughs> yeah. get, get them to yeah, position because... all the locals at a certain point that everyone's going to crash out on the corner <laughs> <laughs> I just love the idea. I love the idea of them just doing it in the worst places because, you know, you're never going to get the road. If you just remember what it was like in Sierra Leone, imagine I would have a triathlon in Sierra Leone. Mm. It would just be insane. Um, but just, yeah, I just, you know, why not? Don't, you don't want to encourage. These places, are, it's bad enough for these places. You don't want to subject them to triathletes as well. The, the world's got enough lycra. <laughs> exactly. That, imagine that. Imagine if they see a middle-aged man in lycra, they're just like, I have seen some atrocities, but that, that, <laughs> you, you had to import me, import that to see it. That is, that is something else. But it was good. That was a really surprising um, uh, a chat and everything. Because I was, you know, it, 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 you never know, um, you, you would naturally think, oh, it's quite easy. You know, if you're going in to help people, it's quite an easy thing to set up. Um, with the you mm. know, with people on the ground and everything, but just like the logistical stuff and you know basic things about you know um, partnering with like um, local celebrities who you might not know are local celebrities, like yeah, you know, what you were saying in terms of mm. like the singer and everything, um, and then the the impact that causes, like you say, with like these you know not the the differences that people have and all the local politics that you don't really understand, you know how it, how it works. Um, it it's it sounds like just an incredible amount of of, of hassle, but I love the idea that it's. It focuses on the race, you know, first, and um, you know, having uh, Mark there as well, who who brought that level of professionalism to to Sierra Leone as well. That 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 makes a massive difference. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's so much extra work because versus something like Street Child, where they're going back to the same country, they can they can build on their previous relationships to do different yeah. races. But actually, one of the the potential issues with Street Child is they kept on asking us to come back to Sierra Leone and. You know, I'm someone who I rarely return to races, or I rarely, I rarely return to holidays, unless there's a, a very good reason why. You know, everyone's saying about doing the back-to-back 
of comrades but i've done comrades now i've been to south africa yeah. sure i can do more while i'm there but actually i've done the main the you know what is seen as the best attractions there so next time i go it will just be diminishing returns and i think that's been part of the issue with street child is they're they're trying to get people to say come back again and yeah. bring your friends but realistically you're you're flocking a dead horse and the, the, the next time will be good but it it's not going to be significantly different and so actually having these different countries where you know guatemala to lake malawi to running with the um the kenyans i mean those three there's so much contrast there that um you there'd be similarities between each one but yeah. actually you'd probably be completely different projects with different people different cultures just everything about it would be so unique that i could see people quite happily just thinking right i'm i'm in like these are my holidays now yeah yeah um, you could you can quite easily you know like the marathon majors you can turn it into something like that couldn't you yeah you quite easily like you know these are um these are the different places you you know you go to on different continents and you know these are the because yeah like you say they're complete like completely different cultures and stuff like that and what if it, and, and I, I love the idea that they they don't do this type of experience yeah it's funny because we were doing a um uh a um uh doing some website copy um writing some website copy for a uh african uh, luxury safari uh company and mm. uh he was saying how you know the the typical uh, like coach tour type African holidays. You know you go to like Kenya and then they bring out some people uh, who will provide you with your cultural experience. You know dressed as Maasai warriors and and things like that. And it's all completely fake and, and everything like that. And I and I imagine that you know when you go to a lot of places, if you go on a, a tour or you go with a, like an organised group or something, you will have those experiences where there will be some kind of organised cultural experience. But mm. if you're actually helping them put like fucking water into their house, there is you, there's no faking that. You're gonna, you're yeah. gonna you you have to speak to them on a level that uh, you know that is it, you know puts you all on the same all on the same level. So it, you know you you're getting an experience that's completely unique and completely different and 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 so much more authentic and genuine. Um, and uh, and you integrate in a way that that's completely different. There's something there's something about going there and going, oh yeah, I've given you a load of money, and you're going to do with mm. it what you want. There's something different between like rolling your sleeves up and actually doing something there while you're there. Um, it just it, I think it just adds something to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and um... but shit for uh, just before a marathon, it should be in real buses. <laughs> real buses, eight things not to do before a marathon: build a pipeline to the village that you're about to start running from. <laughs> <laughs> no, because that would be useful. So therefore, it wouldn't <laughs> no, no, it wouldn't be in real buses. You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, well, I mean, uh, thanks, Nick. Thanks for coming on. That's been fantastic. And do batters, we'll, um, we'll, uh, Jade and I will have a think because I'm pretty sure. We're going to do one of these at some point. Oh, absolutely! Um, I think so. I think we, I think we pick one, um, and uh, we'll uh, uh, we'll coordinate it or something. Because I think I think this could be really good. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I do fear for how well uh, the structural integrity of anything that the do bad is created together. Did you notice? You notice? I asked the important beer question, and he knew the answer. He knew the answer right away. What was the beer question? The Erdinger one. Well, the best. Oh, what the best beers in each of the each of the locations were. Oh, that's true. Yes, that was good. It is yeah. interesting. It is interesting. The Carlsberg Brewery in uh, in Malawi. Very important. I think there's like a 
I think it's like a San Miguel brewery in Tanzania. I think they've got the, it's really weird. There's these really like weird like Western breweries in, in something, which means that all of the beers in that country uh, are dominated by a thing. But the but yeah, I think I think that's uh, that's definitely that's definitely the way to go. We pick good a good sign. Yeah, man. Quality. Well, um, well, thanks for listening, guys. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Next week, we're going to be... Um, actually, we're not going to say what we're doing next week, partly because we've got so many episodes. Because we don't know. <laughs> we don't know what episode's yeah, going to be yeah. next week. <laughs> yeah, they're coming out thick and fast. But um, if you've liked this one, some recent ones that um, people have been raving about, the uh, the Ronda Marie, I mean, I still can't get over what what she's done. She, if you haven't listened to... It's her second episode. She is a blind ultra runner. And having already attempted the Barclay Marathons and the Appalachian Trail, the Barclay Marathon, with, like, a, with a guide, with a guide on the on the Barclay Marathon. This is the thing that like people are not like she she did she had a guide when she was doing Barclay Marathons, and then she decided to do a race, five hundred k race through five states without a guide, yeah. which is just yeah. insane. Yeah, and every car is she's scared of because she can't really see it that well there's coyotes there's so many issues she talks about such a good episode um if you like your your longer stuff um in fact if you have we have we done an episode on street child i don't think we really have have we we did we did talk about um running in charities and that was uh that was an episode about street child and my wonderful experience in sierra leone yeah, so that, I mean that's a good one to listen to. If you if you like the idea of uh, foreign marathons, I've 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 done one in Somaliland, one in Afghanistan. We've talked about those. They're not exactly the same in terms of uh, the races or the community projects, but they they give you an idea of other races out there. Um, and who else have you liked recently, JD? If you want to um, if you want to cry, um, then uh, the Charlie Webster episode is the one to cry to. Um, if you're just a lot of us are turning 40 this year a lot of us um, well yeah. you lot are I'm, I'm, well, 40. Well, I'm, I'm not 40 I'm still in my 30s but you lot are 40 and, um, and so you might be reflecting about your life and reflect about what you've done and what you've achieved and everything and then you listen to the Charlie Webster episode when she talks about nearly dying um, and everything goes with that and it just it allows you to just like reassess what's important in your life um, and, and, and next it, week Next week, we're going to talk to JD about running more than three miles and nearly dying himself. <laughs> but, um, please do. It's when you uh, put it like that. It's when you put it like that. You make you you you're you're downgrading a five k by doing that. And I I I previously I would have accepted that, but now <laughs> now I'm defensive of a five k. In fact, I might even start up a rival bad boy running group who are pro five k runner. Well, now that yeah. I'm a 5K runner. Yeah, perfect. Well, um, thanks for listening, guys. Please subscribe. If, uh, if you like what you hear, go onto iTunes and Raters. It really helps. Yeah, just don't and... be personal, okay? All right, if you don't like me, just don't, <laughs> don't like, specifically say that you don't like me and you prefer someone else. I mean, I, there's nothing I can do about <laughs> my personality. There really isn't. I can't be someone else. Just like, just like the podcast and just say you like the podcast or something. Like, fucking give us five stars and then say I'm shit. But if um, if you'd like to do a, a review in the style of John, in fact, I'm not going to say his name, um, Richard Dow's Strava. <laughs> Richard <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's the key. Go on there. We want as many, as many five-star reviews in the style of the Richard McDowell Strava review. 
<laughs> Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll uh, we'll be back next week. See you later. Bye 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 bye